All right, you guys okay to receive the Word of God for a moment? You okay with that? It's uh, what we've decided this morning to do is uh, instead of kind of having a session and a break and then coming back for the last session, we're actually going to just combine the two, just have a little bit of an extended. We're going to try and finish in by 11.30 and then we'll be done. There will be food and all that still if you're wanting to hang around for lunch. But we have some outreaches that are happening. Uh, people are going from this place literally across Africa to go and do some outreach and go minister and take what's been said this week and actually go live it out. So we want to give them ample time to get into those nations and regions. And, and also there's many of you, I'm sure, heading back and that. And I trust it's been a, a significant time for you. If you have a Bible, just turn with me, please, to Psalms 84. Psalm 84. I have honestly enjoyed this time. And I have to say there's not always the case when you have the privilege of leading something you often can't wait for Friday and uh, that it can be over so you can actually find some space to catch your breath. But honestly, friends, these last two weeks for me, our team meeting last week, and then this equip has been just such a wonderful time. I actually woke up this morning wishing it wasn't Friday. I was hoping there would be, I wish we could do this for a couple of weeks. I think uh, that would be a little better. But anyway, we'd rather people wanting to come back than dead and never want to be involved in what we're doing. And so I, I do sense, certainly in my heart, as I've listened to others, that there's been a significant thing that God has done. How many of you, God has challenged you and done something in you, and you know that? Now, that's the purpose of God, to get us together like this, to honor Christ, to worship, to hear the Father, for God to do some stuff in us. But it's not just what happens here. If this is an equip, and if we're a people of equipping, and it's God wants to do stuff here, that we can go back and do stuff where we're ministering. And, and there is the sense that there's more. How many of you know there's always more? Somebody asked me this week, are you happy? I'm not sure how to answer that. Am I content? Yes. Am I satisfied? Absolutely not. I think we have to never be satisfied because God knows there's more for us, and that's the promise and fulfillment. And if leaders begin to say they're satisfied, they don't need more, well, then I think we've lost what God has for us still. We learn to be content, like Paul said, but we're not satisfied because we know there's more. But in this sense, there is contentment. I'm happy. I'm grateful for what God has done. I'm grateful for what I've heard and what I've seen. I've loved the diversity of ministry, the different ages, the groups, the worship. Maybe it freaked you out a little, some of that stage diving. You know, friends, all that did was take us back to the 80s again. Do you remember that? And I used to be a young guy watching people diving off the stage going, oh my goodness, and suddenly it happened again. And now we're not trying to relive the old days, but there's a radical edge God wants his people to have. And one of our values was always to be wild, but not weird. We're not looking for weird people, but my friends, have we been tamed? Have we lost that wildness of what it means to serve Christ, to honor Jesus, and be true to who he's made us to be? I love that in this room, under one king, and even under this incredible kind of privilege of being part of something that is called NCMI, there's freedom for people to do and be whatever God wants them to be. 
We don't want to restrict people and make them like us. We don't want them to act like us, dress like us, speak like us, because God never made us all the same. And we celebrate the diversity as long as it's bringing glory to Jesus, not to any man or ministry. And that is what we've contended for for the last 35 years. And my friends, we have to contend for the freedom for generations to be raised up and be who God's called them to be in their regions who God has made them to be. And we celebrate it. We will not tolerate it. Are you with me? And so I've loved the diversity of gift and the age and the mix and the worship and the wonderful singing. I'm sorry it's been so hot. We can do a lot. But the weather, I can't control that. And I'm sorry about that. But... I can, I suppose, but you didn't pray enough for that to happen. So, but as we go back, and it's, we call this a 35-year celebration, and, and I think we've celebrated more than just 35 years. We've celebrated something far more important, the king and the kingdom. We've celebrated something of what he's done. There is this continuity that's happening. Our generations, I so loved yesterday, looking and just hearing some of the testimony of the young people who've grown up in this. Can you imagine what it looks like for them? But you know, friends, it's not just going to happen. And I believe that's what God was saying. That we trust God in all things. But God has given us some very clear directions and things that we need to give ourselves to. And my challenge, our challenge, is, is the next 35 plus years. What does that look like? How's that going to happen? What can that be like? And, and every time I think about it, I believe we, me, the team, and the people in this room, we have this incredible responsibility given by God to steward wisely our future. To steward it wisely, not to put our hands all over it, not to control it. But we all know that if we're not defining the culture, then the culture is defining us. And so there's an organic nature to what we're involved in, and we want to be open-handed, and we want God to keep breathing life in what we're involved in. We want God to keep doing it. I started on the first Tuesday on this week. I spoke about this is divine, and if we keep it divine, it will walk in what God has. We will never lose the life of God. If any of you have ever been to Australia, except for the Aussies, it's a great land, okay, and I live there too and I spent most of my life there and I'm supporting them in the rugby just so you know and uh, I, I certainly did not support America I just want you to know that was embarrassing I'm, let me just say Americans are good at most things but rugby not so much I'm just admitting that but if you go to Australia if you go into the outback which is this open space most of the uh, cities are on the coast wonderful places beautiful beaches but there's this outback. There's not much there. And you'll see these cattle farmers, the Aussie cattle farmers. It's a great picture of what I think God's trying to do with us. And if you go to an Aussie cattle farmer you, you, or go out into the outback, you see endless miles of open space. You, you just see this open space with very few fences, but you see all the cattle, they hang together. And if you ask an Aussie farmer, how is it that there's thousands, hundreds of miles of open space, very few fences, but all of your animal hang together? And they'll tell you that their role as a farmer, as a cattle farmer, is not to put up fences. But their job is to dig for fresh water. 
Because wherever there is fresh water, their animals will drink and have no need to go somewhere else. And friends, for me, it's the contending into our future of not putting up fences to restrict people or to hold people back or to keep people in. I trust no one feels forced by a person to be a part of what God's called us to do together. I trust it's in your heart and you're drinking of the life of God and God wants to bring more people into and send more people out, but not for a movement or for a team or for a flag, but for the advancing of the kingdom of God that nations will drink of the living water that flows through our lives. And so there is this organic nature that is needed and we need to give our attention to and our focus to keep the life of God flowing because if there's life, there will always be growth and impact and increase and influence. But we have seen in history, 35 years Things that people have started, and the man who started with the people, they had this vision and heart and intention to be something, and they were something great. And then in a transition, the longer it happens, the more those movements become the very thing they started not to be. And we want to learn from history. We want to know that the next 35 years won't be a repeat of what was. We won't be hanging on to what was. But we as God's people in this time and season will continue embracing what is still to come. We will hold to the values, but not as laws, but as values. We will stay true to the mandate that God gave people before us because it's a God-given mandate. It doesn't end with the man, it stays with Christ. And so that's our contention as we embrace the next 35 years. Longevity is essential for the success in our togetherness. We don't need people falling out of the race. We don't need people stepping out and falling through the cracks. And we need people united around purpose and destiny, around Christ, knowing they're all equal, all needed. And God wants to keep adding as we take ground and territory that Jesus Christ can come back soon. God forbid another leader fall out of this race. God forbid... Young people get hijacked in their lane and fall aside and become worldly worshipers rather than worshipers of Jesus Christ. And friends, we've got to contend for our generations and we've got to pray for them and we've got to lead them well in this season into this glorious inheritance and we want to open space for them and release them and say, go be who God's called you to be. Are you there, friends? I'm not trying to cheer us on this morning, but God has a mandate that has yet to be finished, and we are going to walk in it by the absolute grace and faithfulness of what He has spoken. Psalm 84, verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Not strengthen themselves, strengthen what they do, strengthen the team around them, or our togetherness, or the numbers, or the churches, or anything else. We're a blessed people if our strength is in Him. And let me tell you, for the next season, God's wanting us to be a strong people. A fearful world needs a fearless church. For that to be happening, we've got to have our strength coming from Him. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Hello, friends. Do we still have a heart for what's to come, or have we settled in what was? 
So I look across, and I'm privileged, this team I lead. I really feel privileged. I mean, it's been 11 years now, and it's been some heartache and some pain and something I never wanted, but I'm incredibly privileged to lead these amazing men and women who are more gifted, more talented, greater anointings than anything I could ever come up with. But I know that God has called me to lead these people. I've settled and I'm enjoying the fact that they're greater and I want to release them into all that God has for them and keep bringing more capacity, bigger capacity, so we can get this job done. But I love the fact that they are pilgrim people. Last week when the team came together, I asked how many of you in this room were part of the very beginning of NCMI and there's still a bunch of them who stood and said, we are, and they're still on team serving God in the capacity they can, even though physically they're not what they were. Spiritually, they're more mightier and more faithful and more pioneering than ever before. Don't underestimate the credibility that comes to God, that's given to God through longevity. There is something magnificent about a people who have stayed the course and carried on regardless of what's come their way. I trust that's a testimony of every one of us as we go forward. But our hearts must be set on pilgrimage. You don't have to prove you're a pilgrim by trying to do something to prove it. But I ask you this morning, friends, as we embrace this next 35 plus whatever years, if you still got your heart set on pilgrimage, blessed are those whose strength is in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. The ISV says, whose heart is on your path. Is your heart still on God's path, or has it become about our path, your path, your church's path, your family's path, NCMI's path, or is it still God's path? Verse 6, it says, as they pass through the valley, I like the moving, I like a speaking of, if you read through the New Testament, this apostolic prophetic people is not a staying, I know we celebrate those who stay, but our hearts are to go and change lives everywhere. It's not a static gospel, it's a going and sending people. And as they pass through, I love that picture, as they pass through the valley of Baca, the place of tears, or, or other, uh, other uh, uh, translations say the place of giants. I've got to tell you, by the grace of God, the last season hasn't been tears, but we've had to take on some giants. How many of you have had to take on some giants in the last little while? Of course, and the good news is what I'm, God's releasing us into, more giants. But as they pass through this valley of tears or this valley of giants, they pass through. And look what it says. It says, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They don't become like the valley of Baca. They make it into something God wants it to be. I want to tell you, friends, this is not a people who get together to just buy into the culture. God has put us where we are. God has put us together to bring change where we are going, to bring life to where there's death. And then I love this verse 7. To me, this is a sign of a prophetic people. They go from strength to strength. The New Living Translation, they will continue to grow stronger. I believe God has spoken that we're going to grow stronger, that we're going from strength to strength to strength. 
Don't underestimate that if you've heard God and it would be perceived in your opinion or physically that you're going to leave something that is strong to go to something that is weak, if your perception is that the promise of the Father, He never takes you from strength to weakness, it's always to something stronger, even if it doesn't look like it. I can testify that many times in my own life, that God's promise, when He says it, let me tell you, friends, when I say it or others say it and I do it, it's death. But when this great Father promises and He speaks it and we walk on water, we step out that boat, you know what it says? We go from strength to strength. And I've left churches, handed over big churches, and went to a place where I knew not one soul, relocated and took my family. And God said, I'll take you from strength, and I'm going to make you even stronger. And we went in humble obedience, simple obey God. And I can tell you today, we walked out of strength into greater strength. And that's the promise of God for us in this room, friends. That if we stay true, if we keep our hearts in pilgrimage, the promise is strength to strength to strength to strength. That has to stir you in this room this morning, that it can only get better, even as things get worse. It's a sign of a prophetic people, till each appears before God in Zion. I just want to throw out a few things that we need to remember in this season. Please hear this. It's a reminder. It's already been said, and the things I'll say this morning have already been said, but I want to highlight them again if I can. Remember this, that we're going to have to continue to contend for our ongoing personal revelation of Jesus. Did you hear me, friends? We, as individuals, are going to have to continue to contend for our own personal revelation of Christ. We're not going to get it from each other. We can come into regions and places and present Christ and teach on Christ and present how awesome He is, but it's up to individuals, young and old, leaders, pastors, husbands and wives, to get this ongoing revelation of who Christ is. And I do believe that God is still in the business of revealing His Son to His church. Matthew 16, as we all keep quoting, Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? He said, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, and then He said, what about you? He said, and He talked to His disciples, and Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for that did not come to you by man. Man did not reveal that to you, but that came to me, to you by my Father in heaven. I tell you, friends, God is in the business of revealing Jesus to you and I any time, all the time. If I think of the next 35 years, we will never fulfill any more of what God has if we're not contending for our own personal revelation of Jesus Christ. I believe we're also going to have to continue to take huge steps of faith to continue to see the dream God has placed inside of us become more and more a reality. I believe we're going to have lots of doubters as we continue to share the vision God has spoken and given. I also want to say we'll always, please hear this, we will always feel significant financial pressure as we continue to pursue that which God has called us to. So the question is not can we afford it. 
the question is going to have to still be, did God say it? We will always punch above our weight if we're doing what God has called us to. And so I've watched over the last little while people begin to settle in what they have in the bank that determines what they can do as the people of God. Friends, I understand the reality, but this I tell you, it's not going to be more money in the bank for us. It's going to be the ability to hear God and guess what? Step out and respond because it's not a season to survive. It's to take ground and territory like never before. And that's been the prophetic word this week. I believe we're going to have more people, some we don't even know right now, will be come, along, come alongside us and be friends and partners in the ministry God has given us. I believe we're going to have to be way more passionate of what we stand for, what we're for, rather than what we're against. I believe we're going to have to keep choosing, friends. Do we want to please those who are inside the church, or do we want to reach those who have yet to be reached who are outside of the church? I've got to tell you, we cannot please both. I'm convinced if we please him, we will reach them. And God will make sure our people are taken care of. I believe we're going to continue, friends, to experience a whole new level of spiritual warfare. I know there's some weird stuff out there when it comes to this, but don't negate the importance and understanding of what we're being called to. There is someone who hates what we're doing, especially if we're about taking ground still. And so there's this, in, we're going to have to contend and cry out for nations and cities and people. There's a spiritual warfare that is taking place, and we need to understand God has empowered us in those things. I think for me, one of the biggest challenges that faces us is we're going to be tempted to copy the success we see in the church world rather than believe the vision that God has given us. Friends, I, I, I don't know how to put this. I don't want to put anything on you. I just don't know how else to say that. And I, and I have the privilege of addressing the world in a sense. And I'm going to ask you please to stay true to what God has called you to do. I am concerned as I travel that we're buying into the American model and I'm an American, married to an American, happy to live in America. Love America, love the model, but that model's not for you, your nation. And so I've watched as we learn from nations and people and read the books, and I'm not anti any of those things because we better learn from anyone and everyone, but not at the expense of the authentic people God has called us to be and the things he's spoken to us. So I've watched them, us begin to copy the success of others and begin to be tempted in those areas and begin to preach their model, their thing, and their, at the expense of what God has spoken to us. Guys, in your local church, there are general things for all of us, and then there's some specific things that God has spoken. And I, I want to just remind us, stay true to the specifics that He's spoken to you. And there are specifics He's spoken to us that we have to say that's who we are. We're not trying to be Hillsong. And I love Brian Houston. We're not trying to be Bethel. We're not trying to be Rhema. And I don't want to get in trouble, but we're not. Why? Because they are awesome. God's using them. But we want to be authentic to who we are. Are you there, friends? God's given us something, not in arrogance, but God has given us something that we will stand before Him for what He spoke for us to do. 
So we don't fight. We're in partnership and relation. But we stay true, contending for who we are. Don't lose authenticity because God cannot honor those who are dishonoring him. I think we're going to see God in this next season in ways that many don't get the privilege of seeing God. So just some priorities as I kind of land. And I know Greg spoke around this already, but the first thing I do want to highlight is faith. I'm not going to speak on it because I think Greg did a great job the other day reminding us. But friends, I came to this nation with this talk with our leaders last week, the team, and this week, that God is stirring our faith. God responds to faith, not just faithfulness. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We think all the stuff we do pleases Him. Actually, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so there's that story, as many of you know, in John 11, with Jesus healing Lazarus. You know the story? And Jesus gets to the house, and Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have been dead. If only you had come earlier, my brother would not be dead. Past faith. And Jesus responds to her and says, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the day. In other words, future faith. Jesus, if you were only here earlier, my brother would not have died. Past faith. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And she said, yeah, in the resurrection, meaning in the future, he'll be raised again. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Show me where your brother is. And what did he do? He raised Lazarus from the dead. It's not past faith, and may I suggest it's not only future faith, it's now faith. That God has spoken over us. It's not in things to come and days to come alone. It's not hang in there. It's not bear, grin and bear it. I've watched people talk on faith and talk about how we hang in only alone. It's not bare belief. When I read Hebrews 11, faith is a verb. It does things. Faith obeys. Faith longs. Faith enables. Faith builds. Moses, Noah built an ark. In a time of not knowing what he was supposed to do, listen to the voice of the Father, built an ark, and praise God he did that. Faith worships. Now friends, I, I, I listened to those young guys' testimony. I was broken by half of what I heard. I was undone. How can someone stand up there or sit here and tell us their story of what they've been through and still be able to say that their father would sing, whatever my lot, it has caused me to say, it is well with my soul. I'm going to tell you the future requires us to know that song well. Not to live in fear, but be aware. And I'm telling you, it's faith that gets us to worship God. When people are burning us, leaving us, walking away from us, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to say this, but can I say this? When we were handed this team, before we were handed 11 years ago, I had, went around and asked some of my friends, what, what do you think the biggest challenge will be for Nicole and I in leading this team? And uh, a whole lot of people had a whole lot of things. Interesting, no one actually said what really what happened. But one of my friends said to me, you know, Tyron, I think in your, under your watch, 
We're going to send people to regions and they're never going to come back from those regions. And honestly, 11 years ago, I said, I'm not interested. I don't want that. But even last night or yesterday when we were worshiping, I felt the Lord say, that's the season we're heading into. That people are going to go for the sake of the gospel and for the last and because of response to Christ. And they're not going to come back. I'm telling you, friends, faith motivates and moves us. Now faith. To say not another day, but today. There's this old man on Hebrews in the book of Hebrews worshiping, standing on his staff, one leg. What's he looking up to heaven and he's worshiping? Not, oh, take me, I'm done, I'm over this. But he's worshiping. What's going to help us stay the course? Faith causes us to worship. Faith longs. Are you longing in your heart? It's not just a yearning, it's a longing. It's future focused. It's understanding something of eternal ramifications. Longing for that day. Isn't it amazing in Hebrews 11, it says that Abraham saw from a distance, but he never walked in it. He didn't live with discontentment. He understood it's in the future of what God has. And friends, we are walking in what Abraham saw. I look at the generations behind us. Are they going to walk in what Abraham saw, because we're faithful in what we see. Are you with me? Are you there? Faith. Faith. Secondly, future. Future. Let me say this to you and I again, please, that what we believe about our future, that's what determines how we live and how we lead in the present. It's not what was, it's what's still to come. I'm a Zimbabwean by birth, Rhodesian, and I've met a few of you here this week, and I'm stoked that you're here. Take care of my motherland. But we've been known to be when we's. Get together and talk about when we, when we. And I trust under God that NCMI will never be a when we people. Because as I'm grateful for the heritage and the the goodness and the things and the, the, the pioneers who've gone before. God help us not look there and think that's what it's about. God help us to believe for what's still to come. And because of what we believe, we will live and lead differently today on what's based in our future. Somebody said today's complacency is tomorrow's captivity. If we become complacent, it will become captive. People behind us will be captive because of our complaint. In our decisions, friends, I just want to throw this out. If you are a follower of Jesus, and we've all heard that and claimed to be that this week, if you are a follower of Jesus, then every decision is spiritual. There are no my decisions and his decisions. If I'm following Christ, every decision is spiritual, which means I'm going to him on who I marry. Singles. Don't settle for those who are in your church and think this is all you have. Look around here. Look around here. There's a whole lot more people. I can't believe how people are selling out and just choosing because that's all that's there. Hear God because who you marry determines your future and eternity and what it looks like. Come on, friends. And once you're married, let me just tell you, that is 
it. Forever. <laughs> Ask the Father about who you should marry. Ask the Father about where you should be. Your business people just up and go because there's another opportunity in another country. Have you heard God? Have you considered this could not, maybe not even be God? I'm amazed how we compartmentalize, even in the church, even leaders compartmentalize. Friends, I want to tell you, if you're truly following Christ, every single decision is a spiritual one. And I believe we have to make decisions based on the future. Our dreams are not what was, but what's still to come. Build his dream. And I believe his dream will build you. We will always live in something bigger than we come up with. We can never come up with this. It's always bigger than us. His dream. You know, I, I, uh, you've heard, I'm sure, the story before. But I, I, let me just say this. Don't allow the details to destroy the dream God's given us. And I've watched and I've looked and even in our own life and in the ministry we've been involved in, even taking on this team, uh, everywhere I went it was happening and people were like, Tyron, how are we going to do this and how are we going to do that and how do we do this and what about this nation and we don't have enough people. And, and to be honest, I, came, I became incredibly overwhelmed. And, and I remember being in a conference that I was supposed to be speaking at and I'm here to stir their faith, but I got no faith because I don't have a clue how we're going to do what we're supposed to do. And before the meeting started, some little late girl, late girl got up and began to play a guitar, just playing, not even part of the band or anything. And she began to sing a song that caught my attention, caught my ear, and caught my heart. And it was simply these words, don't let the details destroy the dream that I've given you. And I'm telling you, if it was, I went to Los Angeles all the way there. If it was simply for that, that was good enough for me. Suddenly that got in my heart and I began to realize I've allowed all the details to actually limit and shrink God to something I can come up with. I've got to tell you, details are there for the dream. The dreams are not there for the details. And that's not blasé. And that's not haphazard. But know this, it will always be bigger than us. Are we dreaming still for our future? The decisions we make. You know, friends, I often wonder, why did God choose Abraham? Many say because he was old, because he didn't have a kid, all those things. God didn't want any flesh to glory in his presence. And I believe those are part of it. But he actually says in Genesis 18, why he chose Abraham? Because Abraham would be faithful to the generations to come. Why did God choose us? I believe because those who had gone before us were faithful to us who are generations here. But here's what I want to say for us. We've got to think about the next generation. We've got to be faithful. Can God still trust you and I in this room with the next generation? Now, I was challenged by God that if you want to build for the next generation, then you need to build with the next generation. It's not do our thing and hand over. It's get them involved in what we're doing and doing this together so they can take this on into the next generation, the next generation, faithfully serving God. Friends, we cannot reference our past. We must build with intention for our future. Stay focused. Just my dad is a stickler for this. Yeah, I had three weeks with him. He came and hung out with us in the U.S. And my dad's a stickler for truth. 
and he's stickler for this statement, keep the main thing the main thing. Have you heard that before? Friends, I want to tell you, 35 years of keeping the main thing or the main thing has got us here. The next 35, keep the main thing the main thing. There's too many things contending for our attention and our affections and our actions. We've got to build and live with intention. What I've realized is that the devil uses the method of gradualism to wear down the people of God. It's not one-off things. It's this ongoing, gradually wearing us down. That's the method of the devil. And eventually, we become so distracted, so caught up in all the other stuff, that we forget about the main thing. And so for us, as we embrace this next 35 years, we've got to contend also for keeping focused on what God said. Keeping our people focused on what He's spoken. Keeping our people focused on the main thing. Because everything else around us is trying to shrink us into something else. You know, we have to learn to live with distraction without becoming distracted. You can't eliminate distraction because then you'd have to evacuate the planet. Everything around us is a distraction. And and we have to ask God into our future to help us, friends, to live with distraction without ever becoming distracted. Are you with me? I want to say we need to be flexible. Isaiah 58 verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now that's not some chasm between God and us, but that does remind us that God is not like us, and God doesn't do things the way we want to do things. And I'm convinced that the future requires us to be a flexible people. To not approach the future pragmatically. To not approach God pragmatically. Do you know God is not like us and God does things that we don't do and His ways are not our ways. And so while we have learned some things in our history, we want the new ways. We want to embrace the new way. I mean, what worked in the 80s does not work today. And I love the 80s, and I'm telling you the music is today is 80s. And the jeans and all the skinny jeans and all the think you're cool. We did that in the 80s. You're not as cool as we were. <laughs> but they had fax machines. My dad led this team with a fax machine. I'm telling you, if you didn't have a fax machine, you couldn't be on this team. And so he would send a fax to all the team. I mean, and it's like they never worked. And then midnight, you hear this thing, and wake up, and he's like, pick up your phone. Oh, it was a mess. Now we've moved into iPads and iPods and every other thing there is. Friends, people are different. People are changed. We can either fight it or we can embrace how to reach the generations that are still to be reached. In this room, we are culturally different. We've got 40-something nations represented, and God has made it different. And so we've got to find how to reach God's people in those places where God has called us to minister. It's not a one-size-fits-all. I watch movements and teams die because they're trying to stick with what was rather than embrace. I think the two deadliest enemies of the church are ritualism and formalism. I think if I can just throw out signs that a ministry or a church is dying, 
Can I just throw a few out? Your past, a church or a ministry that rests on its past accomplishments, satisfied with its present state, that's a dying church or ministry. Those who are more committed to protocols, more concerned about rituals and their formalities than they are about spirituality. Churches that are powerless or ministries that are powerless. You know, friends, there are people today in, this, in the kingdom who are more concerned about social change than they are about seeing people changed by the power of God. People of prosperity. Some people today, ministries and churches, are more concerned with material growth than they are with spiritual growth. Thank God for what he's doing and thank God for the blessing and the financial breakthroughs and that, but can we rave more about the spiritual growth of the people than just the financial breakthroughs that we've had? We don't preach a prosperity gospel. Although you prosper, we speak a people becoming more like Jesus, growing to be more like him. Policies. There's some who cling more tightly to creeds and confessions than they do to the Word of God. Those people who are principle orientated. Now, friends, please hear me. I believe in principles, but I think we're wrong when we preach principles rather than pattern from who God has spoken and what God has said. If you take finances, for example, I've watched people preach on finances and tithing as a principle. And while I believe it is a principle, no one wants to give because that truth has now become a law rather than a value. Are you with me? But when you go back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God, in the beginning, God created, and you begin to present God is the creator and God is the source. And because he's creator and source, he has a pattern. You don't have to give, but you get to give because the giver of life and the source of all things, the creator, says, hey, 10%, that's mine. And suddenly people don't take law and don't treat it as a law or a principle, but are actually understanding God has a pattern that he hasn't changed even in 2015. And so it's not legalism, it's actually value. I find it easier to give to God when I understand who he is, rather than being told by some preacher, I need a salary, so you better give your tithe. I find it far easier to mobilize thousands of people to give into, the, this, into our togetherness to help us get the job done when they understand there's a pattern through Scripture. It's not an NCMI pattern or a Your Church pattern, but it's God's pattern, and that's how we get the job done together. It's sowing into something bigger than ourselves, but because it's honoring to God, and He's the source of all things. Are you there, friends? I'm amazed how people have taken the values that keep us together. Do you know there is no office? We don't have an office, an NCMI office. I don't have one. I used to lead a church. I just handed over, and they got rid of the office that I had. I don't have an office. There's no headquarters within NCMI to this day. We have churches that are bases that carry somewhat of the regional responsibilities. There's no headquarters. There's no office. There's nowhere to sign there's no documents. There's no buildings that keep us together. The only thing that keeps us together is our revelation of Christ, our vision for who He is, what He's called us to the kingdom, and then this incredible partnership that is centered around values, not laws. And if we lose the heart of these values, they will become laws. 
And if we lose that, we lose everything because nothing's keeping us together. I say that because some have taken the values that we contended for, not Dudley, but biblically. They're not answering my values. They're scriptural values that we have embraced and said, this is what we want to be about. But I listen to people present them as laws. Husband and wife in ministry together is not a law. It's a value we contend for. But suddenly Tyron wants you at this meeting because husbands and wives have to be there. And suddenly a value becomes a law. And law will always kill. But the heart behind is it's a value that we need to pass on to this next generation. Because I'm telling you, if husbands and wives are not in this together, good luck with your marriage. Watch people bomb out and blow out, and it becomes something God never intended it to be. Value, not law. And we will contend for the values, but they will never be laws or principles. Because that alone brings death. Number five, I've got two more. Are you okay? Number five, we need to stand firm in our scriptures. Friends, I don't know how to plead with us any more than what I'm saying now. That we have to make sure we stick to the word of God. I don't believe we have a future if we move from what the word of God says. God is not, and we've heard it this week, God's not watching over your words. My word, our word, he's watching over his word to see his word fulfilled. I'm amazed as this prophetic note, utterance and as people begin to embrace their future. I've listened to prophets say this. It's time to put aside the word of God because God wants to do a new thing. I'm telling you, I want to vomit on that word right here, right now. You are insane. You will never walk with us if you don't believe the Bible is still the authority That's the plumb line. That's the thing we build according to. That's what we preach. We don't add to. We don't take away. God's word only. In practice and preach. Many have made, try to make NCMI, all these other things. And, and while they sound incredible, friends, and I try to buy into some of it. And I'm not saying their hearts are wrong. I just went back to the Bible and I can't see anything else. So then we either go with what we want or stick to what God has said, the plan of God, and that's how we're building. And if you can show us biblically, not culturally, because I'm telling you, we are wrong culturally everywhere. Not politically, because we are wrong politically everywhere. I'm asking if you can show us biblically, not your interpretation, where the Bible is clear. That we're wrong. I promise you under God, we will stand up and correct it instantly because we believe the word of God, the whole word of God, not some of it, not pick and choose. It's all God's word. Do you believe that in the church you're leading, in the life you're living? We need to know the word of God. We need to study it. We need to learn it and we need to live it. (laughs) Psalm 119 verse 89 says, Your word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Now listen, friends. If it's settled in heaven, then it's settled here on earth for me. If we're prophetic, the grass withers and the trees, the grass, whatever. Uh, You know, that's it. But the word of the Lord stands forever. We're talking future. 
Well, what do you think stands forever? The Word of God. Friends, it's the plumb line. Regardless of how bad the cultures are and your city's getting worse, and for the world, the world at its worst needs the church at its best. It's not to lower the standard. It's to raise the standard back to God's way, the Word of God always. Amen? Are you still building according to the Word of God? Are we still preaching the Word? Are we not just picking and choosing our preachers? You know how hard it is when you travel and you go into a region where they don't speak English and you've got to preach and you get a half an hour, an hour to preach? Do you know how hard it is to actually open the Bible and read it through a translator? It's so much easier to say, hey, if you just go read this, you'll see it, but let me give you my points. But I've determined under God that I will rather open the package, open the scripture and preach, read the Bible. And if I have the privilege of making some points, so be it. But to say we believe the Bible and never to read it. You know, my dad was just visiting, as I said. And and you know that video we watched the other day? Let me tell you, we had to cut and paste a whole lot out. Because you know what my dad said? I want to read every scripture. I said, Dad, we haven't got, we got four or five days. He said, every scripture that I speak, I want to read it. I said, Dad, you can't, please. He said, no, no, Tyrant, the point is the scripture. I said, Dad, we will add the scripture. We'll put it in there. He said, no, I want to read it into the camera. Don't tell him, but we cut it all out. (laughs) And it's not because we disrespect him, but he's a stickler that I want to read it because the word of God is more important than my points. I wonder if we still have that heart, preachers. In this room. It's not content for Dudley. It's content for the future. Knowing the word of God is still. Let me say what we highlight. Better have a biblical backing. With manifestations. And I, I caused a bit of controversy apparently. Because guys lined up to see me when I said. Hey there's more biblical backing for strange fire. Than no fire. It's biblical. You cannot find one scripture in the New Testament. Where there's no fire. The early church was empowered from on high, birthed in power. And some stuff that happened was kind of weird, but not weird where it's drawing attention to a ministry. If it's not focused on Christ, we don't want any of it. But we need the Word of God to be the thing, friends. And here's what I want to say. If the Bible emphasizes it, then we have the right to emphasize it. But if the Bible does not emphasize it, then we can enjoy it, but not emphasize it. And what I'm watching is people emphasizing their manifestation when the Bible doesn't. Be careful. Let's get back to the Bible. Enjoy it, but only emphasize what God emphasized through Scripture. And we will be safe as we embrace this future together. Are you with me? My last point. I'm going to come down. Is that okay? As I believe we need to be faithful. In this season, in our partnerships. Faithful in our partnerships. Now, I said earlier that there is an organic nature to what we do. And we want to keep that organic nature. But there is some order. There is some context, some boundaries that God has put us together. And as I think about our future, I... I want to say, I don't have, I'm not the only one, but I, I need to, in these moments, just remind you what it means to partner with us. We're not building a movement. We're not building a team. We're not building any of those things. We are about the king and the kingdom. If people ask, what is NCMI about? We're not a church planning movement. 
Please hear that. We want to plant churches, but not to be a church planting movement. We're not even a discipling the nation's team. We are an obsessed people with Christ the King, and we want to see the kingdom advance at every level. And out of that, we do these things that God has given us. Because one thing to say, we want to be that, but we actually have been given by God a model to work out and to walk out. And so there's freedom. This thing, as I said the other day, works under a tree in Africa and under the Eiffel Tower in Paris and anywhere else around the world. This works because it's not subject to a place or a time or a people. It's God's pattern through Scripture. We have to contend that others are not telling us what we are. The Word of God is telling us what we are. We're a team. NCMI is a team simply made up of fivefold gifts. Ephesians 4, fivefold gifts. There's not one NCMI church on this planet. Even the church I used to lead was not an NCMI church. Why? Because we don't have churches. Why? Because every local church is autonomous. That is led by the highest human biblical governing authority, which are elders, not apostles or prophets. Elders are the highest human governing authority in your local church. Autonomous in every decision that is made. The pastors in this room will stand before God for the people in their church. I won't stand before God for your people. Are you there? So there's no NCMI churches. But every local church, by God, in Scripture, should be partnering with translocal ministry. And so if it's not NCMI, then go and find another team that you are. But friends, you can't do this without your... This is not an optional extra. This is God. This is His pattern. And it's still needed. And we want to just tell you this morning what it means to partner with NCMI. I can't tell you how to partner with another team. This is the team God's called us to be part of and to lead. And if you are in partnership, and I think the majority in this room are, can I remind you this partnership because it's vital for our next season. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1... Verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why did he pray with joy? I can't say I pray with joy for every church until I understand this. He says, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Why was Paul so full of joy, thanking God and involved and prayed with joy every time he thought about the church in Philippi and churches he connected with? It was because of their partnership. That word speaks of kononia, fellowship. It's not more than just hanging out and having coffee. It's our partnership in the gospel. And so God has called churches around the world to partner in the gospel with us, getting the gospel out, being stronger together. But for that to happen, we need to understand there's some boundaries within this and context. And so in the past 35 years, we talked about relationship and relating to NCMI. You might have noticed we don't talk about relating anymore because that word has very little meaning in today's society. We want to move from relating to actually partnering. Where partnering puts pressure, in a sense, and responsibility on all of us. And it's more of a biblical language. And in, when my dad or some of the older guys would stand up and say, relating, they mean partnering. But we moved it from relating to partnering because everybody in the whole world seems to relate to NCMI. 
Those who used to be part of this still claim relating to us. And I understand what they're saying because they have a coffee with one of the guys on our team. That's not, re- that's not partnering. And we want friends, but we're not looking for friends. We need partners to get this job done. So how does it look for us? Number one, when you partner with New Covenant Ministries International, it starts with recognition. Not relationship, but recognition. What do I mean by that? Well, friends, I tell you, you can't partner with this team if you don't understand the recognition that you need those gifts to be in your church. If you don't believe in translocal ministry, if you don't believe Ephesians 4, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be pastors, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to equip God's people for works of service. Those gifts were given by Christ for the church. And I believe that if you don't have a revelation or a belief system that says my church needs those gifts to come and help equip my people to do the works of service, then friends, we can be friends till Jesus comes back, but we can't partner together. So you might sit here and say, well, Tyron, I do recognize that I need those gifts. The second thing in, part, in recognition is you've got to recognize that some of this team are those gifts. Because you can't partner with NCMI and believe you need these gifts, but you get every other gift outside of NCMI into your local church. No reality. Are you there? Am I making sense? Doesn't mean you can't have people who are not part of NCMI minister. Of course, you're the highest skewing governing authority. But we're saying you've got to at least recognize some of our guys and be inviting them in to say, hey, we partner with NCMI. Are you there, friends? I'm not promoting ministry. I'm saying we've got to contend for what we believe so we can be the people God's called us to be as we go forward. And so partnering is this relationship, partnership of recognition. Now, can I just say the 400 people on this team or whatever they are, you don't have to recognize every one of them as a, f- a fivefold gift to partner with NCMI. This is not your team, it's mine. I simply have to recognize them to invite me, them on my team. You don't have to see every one of them. You, you who have eldership teams, can I be honest with you? You're insane to believe that every person in your church sees every elder on your eldership as an elder. But somebody better see them. And certainly you who leads that team. Does that make sense to you? So you can say, well, gee, I don't see, even maybe this morning you might say, I don't know that guy who's coming on, or I wouldn't bring him on. It's cool, it's my team, not yours. Not being arrogant, just saying. And I'm not saying you have to invite them, but I'm saying you've got to see someone on our team as a gift for you to say, hey, we're in partnership with this team. And so we want to still say, friends, that if you're a recognition of gifts with us, it means that we have primary relationship with you in your local church. What does that mean? Not exclusivity, but primary. (laughs) Meaning what? That we speak into the life of your church, not give you permission, but perspective. In what areas? Discipline. When you have to discipline your people, not necessarily your people, but more the leadership, we want to be involved so the church can walk through restoration, and so can the leaders in your church. So we're saying, if you partner with NCMI, don't call your Baptist buddy down the road, and I'm not against the Baptist, but and get him in to deal with the issues, and then say, hey, I'm partnering with NCMI, because we get called in when it's a mess, rather than, hey, involve us from the outset, so we can help the church and the leaders get restored and live in the bigness of what God has. 
So in disciplining, we're saying, hey, if you've chosen to partner with us, we want to have some input, not tell you what to do, help you through this. Discipline, doctrine. When you're changing doctrine and all this, or you're wrestling through, get some of the guys, your teachers or theologians from our teammate, get them in to help you sort through some of the doctrinal things you're working through. You ultimately make the decisions, but we want to help you in what those things are. That's what it means. And then also, thirdly, primary relationship is in direction. We're not the visionaries for your church, you guys are. But when you're doing ordaining elders, if you partner with NCMR, you should be involving us. We should be laying hands according to Scripture. We should be helping you choose leaders, not telling you who, but seeing it and, and responding. Can I say in church splits, we should be helping people work that through. When people are ordaining, when people are bringing leaders on, can I say even when people break away from partnering with NCMR, we should have some involvement in that. Not to tell you to stay, but can we work it out? Do you know that there are churches across the world that have walked away from NCMR by sending us an email? And then I've got to stand up and tell people, I don't know why they've left. They just took off. Friends, I don't, I, this can happen, but surely we can do better than that if we're in partnership. Surely we can actually work it out. So if it is the will of God for churches to walk away, we can all stand up and celebrate it rather than wonder what went wrong again. It's not control, it's genuine partnership. It's not having a coffee with a team guy, it's getting them involved in this local church so your church can thrive, we can be stronger together. Friends, we need genuine partnerships in this season. So it's partnering. How? Recognition. Number two, relationally. Relationship is still a vital part of what we do. You can see that this week. We're not wanting to break our, we want to relate. We, I spoke the first day that we need to get back to not just friends, but reach out and relate to others like sisters and brothers. I'm telling you, friends, sisters and brothers work things out. Friends can take a, go away, but sisters and brothers work things out. I'll tell you what, friends, just be honest with you. My brother has have been through some stuff and they've been, but they're still my brothers, my physical brothers. I'm telling you, it's so easier to write them off as friends, but as brothers, I will contend. Not for them to be right, but those are my brothers. And I think we need that back in the relationships we have here. That maybe there's some issues to be sorted out, but because we are brothers and sisters, we don't just walk away. We get it sorted out. My dad was a stickler again for covenantal relationships. What happened to that? You know what covenant's not cut blood, not sign in the dotted line. It's this relationship. We are covenantly committed to one another for the king and the kingdom. We're stronger together. When there are issues amongst us, it can hinder the progress of the gospel. So we work it out. We submit it to each other. We committed to each other. We serve each other. And we preserve our relationships and what we've been called to. You know, I know I have to land, but when Nicole and I got married, Uncle Leon has been referenced a few times this week. Leon Fandel, champion. Leon and Pat, they're somewhere here. And uh, they're awesome. Yeah, I think they're over there. You know, before Nicole and I got married, Leon, I thought, geez, let me get Leon and Pat. They've been married longer than I've been alive or whatever. Let's 
let's get them together and just speak some truth into my wife before I get married. So we went to a restaurant in Los Angeles. I was still living there. And I said, hey, Leon, please just speak to us. But just uh, give us some counsel for this marriage, you know. So Leon looked at me and he said, Tyron, you're getting married because you're selfish. He looked at Nicole and said, Nicole, you're getting married because you're selfish. And if that's the case, marriage won't work. Now, how many of you are looking for that when you're getting marriage counseling? So he said, you know, that's the wrong reason to get married. You actually need to come into this marriage, Tyron, as what can I give, not what can I get. And Nicole, you need to come into this marriage for what can I give, not what can I get. And friends, I've kept my bargain, but Nicole hasn't. I'm joking, my wife. She's awesome. But I think there's something in a partnership like that that's needed in our togetherness. Because there are many guys who line up, and I'm just being straight with you, and you guys, please hear my heart in this, that will line up and say, Chi's Tyron, we want to be a part of this thing, because Chi, we want to be involved in, there's so much momentum. And friends, it's the goodness of God, and we want all people to be blessed by what we're involved in. But I don't hear too many guys coming in saying, how can we help? Rather than, what can I get? Partnerships is, how do we bring what we've got, not for NCMR, for the king and the kingdom. How do I bring my relationships? How do I get involved and get behind this thing? That's partnership. Recognition, relationships, revelation. Revelation. Now, I think our heart is so big, and it has been, that we want anyone and everyone to be involved in what we call to. And our heart is still big for that. But I've realized there's some theological things we have to agree on if we're going to partner together. See, I can be friends with people who disagree at every level with me. And when I have a coffee with them, that's fine. I still walk away believing what I do, and they walk away believing what they do. But in a partnership, we've got to agree on a lot more than heaven and hell. Amos 3.3, how do two walk together unless they've agreed to the same direction? So what also, I'm just being honest, people come in and they want to change who we are and tell us we can't do that, shouldn't do that. And they come in with all their rules and regulations. Quietly, let me remind you, you coming a part of what we're doing. It's not arrogance, it's that we know what God's called us to. All I'm trying to say in this is we've got to agree on some things if we can partner we can disagree on a lot, and you don't all have to believe what I believe. And let me tell you, this team is diverse, and in times we all have different opinions and theories, and they're all wrong, I'm right, but they will know that one day. It's not we have to agree on those things, but on governing and, and how the church is led. Elders govern, plurality of elders. If you don't believe in plurality of elders, we probably can't work together. If you don't believe church planting is a vital strategy that God has given us, then we're probably not going to work together. If you don't believe in team, you shouldn't be connected to a team. If you don't believe in leadership leading from the front, then maybe find a group that hasn't got a leader. And I'm not being arrogant. That's the case. So it's a lot more than anyone and everyone who wants to be a part of it. There's this connection that says, hey, we sense it, we believe it, and we want to be a part of the blessing and be part of the solution as we embrace this future. Amen? So recognition quickly. I'm landing now. Sorry, I've done a bad job on this. Uh, revelation, we have to agree. Now, just say in the Ephesians 4, you know the, 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 the diversity is in the gift and grace. 
you watch and listen to guys who ministered, gift and grace, different. Celebrate it. But we are unified around the same theme and focus. And so the diversity is in the gift and the grace, not in the theology of everyone believe whatever you want, but let's work together. We believe what the Bible says. We see it. We don't arm wrestle each other to get us to believe something else. Resources without reservation. We're stronger together. Who believes that? How many believe that a church of a thousand is a pretty strong people, but a church connected to thousands is way stronger? That's God's strategy, friends, is that we're stronger together. And so it's one th- we're not stronger together if we just claim we're stronger together. We're stronger together if we work together. And so people coming in, for me, it's resources without reservation. Can I say this to you? Those of you who partner with NCMI and the team I lead, there's not a place on this planet that you can't go and visit. There's not a church that you don't have access to because you're partnering with NCMI. Name a city or a town, you can go there. You can go and tell them I'm in partnership with NCMI. They have connections this week of people from all over the world. They will never be the same. They're going back with friends Because they came to this and God connected us together. And that's what I'm saying. There's nothing off limits that's mine that is not yours. But can we honestly say it's the other way around too? Are you willing under God, not to say for NCMI, but for the king of the kingdom who God has linked me to? Not I chose, God chose to these people. Therefore, what is mine belongs to them for the kingdom. Take whatever you need, buildings, not to have, to use. People, finances, we'll sow it in. Gift, talents, musicians, church planning. We say, what is ours is yours. Friends, that's God's way. I'd rather five churches like this than 5,000 talking about this. Resources. How do you spell commitment? M-O-N-E-Y. That's the same in your local church. I'm not saying we need your money, but I do say we need billions and billions and billions. So I've cried out to the Lord, Lord, you could just unlock that right here, right now. He can, but then he reminds me. But I also gave you a pattern, which I won't change because you don't want to talk about it. Friends, our resources together, can you imagine? Not to promote a ministry and not to make a man great. I hope you see the heart of NCMI. It is still nameless and faceless. We've done our utmost to present Christ at every level. That's still what we can. It's not about a man or a ministry. It's about Jesus and the kingdom. And we're stronger together. It also is, in partnership, responsibility. We own this mandate together. The mission, the mandate that we've heard about this week, it's not NCMIs, it's all of us. We plant churches, we need help to plant churches. Friends, I'll tell you what, God is speaking to us again that we need to release in this season people to go and plant again. And it's up to us, not me or the team, us, to develop and to keep that culture of church planting because this world evangelization is a fantasy if we're not planting churches. 
So it's not everyone should plant, but every local church should have a heart and be involved as we plant churches across the world. We need you to take responsibility with us. We are not called to do this as a team. We're called to do it as God's people. And we have a team who can action it with the people in this room and around the world. You can't go from here having heard what God has said and try and do this on your own. God spoke to us, so let's do it together. And the last point in all of this is the reward. And you can talk about the price of partnering, but to me, the reward is greater. We're stronger together. Name a city, name a town, name a region. Generations, people, we can send them. They can go anywhere in the world and stay with people and live with people who are exactly like us in heart and vision, but free to be who God's called them to be. There's a reward in our relationships. Your breakthrough, my breakthrough. When you ordain elders in your church, even if I've never been to your church, if you're in partnership with me, honestly, I celebrate that's a breakthrough for us. When someone gets healed in your church, our breakthrough. When someone gets saved in your church, our breakthrough. When you have a building that you've been trusting for, I might never visit it, but I'm broke, our breakthrough, because our inheritance is together. That's why Paul said, I pray with joy. When I think of these churches, it's with joy because of our partnership. Are you with me, friends? Let's stand together, please.